Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today we're going to look at the question of renunciation during uh, the Stalin era. And this was uh, encouraging people who were deemed as being socially deviant or from enemy classes to renounce the past um, or to try to uh, renounce their uh, class status or some kind of other stigma. Um, Sheila Fitzpatrick, whose work we're looking at today, uh, again in her brilliant book, Everyday Stalinism, um, writes, Renunciation was one of the ways people tried to cast off stigma. It was usually unavailing, since social origin was held to be an objective taint that could not be removed by a change of heart. All the same, officials sometimes required it of the children of kulaks and priests at the beginning of the 1930s, as they, did, as they did during the great purges of, um, of children of enemies of the people. And sometimes people did it of their own initiative. Two Kulak daughters recall many years later that they had to make statements that they renounced their parents and had no further ties with them. A teacher, Yuri Mikhailovich, inserted a curt announcement in his Vetsia um, that, I renounced my father, a priest. A priest's wife in the Lower Volga tried to repudiate her husband after he was de-kulakized, saying her son had converted her to the cause of Soviet power and led her to hate capitalism. Um, so, the interesting thing I always find when talking about the everyday in the Soviet Union is that we look at what's the relationship between um, state power and society was actually like, and how... Um, state power and repressive authoritarian state power began to shape um, social behaviour, began to shape social institutions, and how human beings, uh, at, on a grassroots level, reacted to the intrusions of state power. Some defy it, some collaborate with it, some try to find ways around it, uh, some negotiate with it. In this case, the consequences of being labelled an enemy of the people are so significant, so severe, that you very often you find uh, willing participants in this process of uh, renunciation. Now, the process of renunciation is by no means 
um, a, a given, there are no guarantees that that renunciation will actually be uh, uh, accepted. Because, of course, the official doctrine is that class origin can't be uh, removed um, and that the uh, process of class formation, the process by which you become bourgeois or a kulak, is so powerful, so all-encompassing, that for some, even a revolution won't manage to kind of undo um, the, the, the experiences of the past, won't manage to forge you into new proletarian souls. Now, the interesting thing for me is that, in a way, that contradicts official Soviet ideology, that revolution and um, labour and working towards the building of socialism could reform souls, could create the new Soviet man or woman. Perhaps what is um, what 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 the truth is is that proletarians could be reformed. So proletarians who had been exposed to capitalism, who had uh, adopted osmosis, um, proletarians who had uh, become uh, kind of uh, oppressed by capitalism and weak and dissolute, they were the ones who could be reformed and turned into sort of Nietzschean supermen and women. One way of renouncing uh, a family member uh, in marriage, of course, was divorce. And it was expected that those who had been convicted of crimes against the state would be then divorced by their partners. Um, their partners wouldn't necessarily automatically escape, escape the taint uh, of counter-revolutionary activity. And it was often the partners that would be, or ex-partners that would be uh, arrested when the terror began, assuming that um, one uh, half of the marriage was arrested uh, beforehand. Um, a, uh, an, another example of, of a letter was um, from, in uh, Izvetsia. It said, Starting from today, when, as a result of decudacization, I have absolutely no property, I once and for all renounce the old and needed and harmful views. Starting today, I divorce my husband. And the um, symbolic act of divorce was uh, a way of divorcing oneself from the past, divorcing oneself from uh, pre-revolutionary um, uh, way, uh, beliefs and values. Now, when they describe this period um, of Stalinism as the, the Stalin Cultural Revolution, this is the kind of thing that it comprises. An attempt by Stalin to wholesale uh, change the attitudes, values and beliefs uh, of society. It's, it's culture. Um, a, a, a way of breaking not just economically and politically, but socially and culturally uh, with the past. And the reason why during the Stalin era that was important is because there was an overall fear in the party that Lenin, for uh, whatever reasons, partly to do with the new economic policy and partly to do with the fact that he fell ill, was unable to make that uh, fundamental break. When it came to, particularly to the Kulaks, um, the Soviet authorities were often very suspicious. They saw de-kulak, um, divorces during the process of dekulakization as a ploy um, in order to protect the family's assets. If the um, uh, husband and wife had uh, an agreed divorce, uh, it meant that the assets would go to the wife, who was now a good a revolutionary citizen, 
uh, and when the husband got out of prison one day uh, he might be able to rejoin the family uh, and uh, if that happened then the wealth of the kulaks remained within the kulak class and the whole process of dekulakization is uh, undermined so um, normally um, these sorts of appeals, these sorts of announcements would be treated with great suspicion and perhaps even fall on deaf ears the uh, Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, the kind of renunciation that most interested Soviet authorities was when the priests uh, renounced the cloth. Such renunciation, if done publicly, provided dramatic support for the Soviet position that religion was a fraud and had been discredited by modern science. Signed announcements that the priest was renouncing the cloth in response to socialist construction appeared from time to time as letters to the editor in the local press during the Cultural Revolution. A type of example, of, um, a typical example of this type, a political theatre, took place one Sunday in 1929 in a Catholic church in the Minsk region. On the day when believers gathered for religious worship in honour of God's vicar, they heard with horror from the lips of the priest that religion was a deceit and that he no longer wished to be a weapon in the hands of counter-revolutionaries. At that point... The priest threw off his vestments and left the church, accompanied by wails and lamentation from the fanatical old women in the congregation. And it was the NKVD that took, uh, kept a close eye on uh, renunciations um, by the priesthood, um, and um, they, uh, this, this was all part of the, the process of the Stalin Constitution uh, of 1936. Uh, one priest, an Orthodox priest, uh, made an announcement uh, in church um, of his disillusionment with religion and he stated that science explained nature, not God. In another instance, um, a priest announced um, his uh, renunciation of faith in a local newspaper and he subsequently announced that he was entering pharmacy school. The kind of dream uh, Soviet uh, transformation, as far as the regime was concerned. One of the problems of renouncing the cloth was that it, um, the uh, title of ex-priest continued with the clergyman. So uh, simply by renouncing the cloth didn't mean to say that you renounced the stigma of having been part of a, a, an enemy class or an enemy profession. Um, it was very difficult for priests to find jobs, and many young priests uh, would leave the church um, or would have left the church altogether if this problem had been overcome. Um, so that it was uh, so, so the regime uh, reported. Um, so the regime itself saw that its persecution of the priesthood, its persecution of class enemies, actually created the circumstances by which class enemies could kind of be perpetuated. Uh, often, um, for it, it was almost impossible for priests to survive by renouncing uh, the priesthood uh, in this way, because then they, have, they, they lose their role in the church, but also they uh, are still unable um, to reintegrate or to integrate themselves into the new uh, socialist society. Um, so, Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, Not only the priests, but also officials of the League of Militant Godless, professional atheist propagandists, 
wanted renunciation to be a smoother process. We have priests who renounced the cloth three years ago, a frustrated official in 1930 said. They don't even take them at the labour exchange. We must give people who renounce religion and want to join us the possibility of working, even if it's manual labour. Indeed, the League had whole files of letters from priests who'd left the church but were unable to find work. Um, victims of disenfranchisement, as well as those who'd been deported or exiled, uh, one of their few tools was petition. Now, petitioning the authorities had been uh, a fixture of czarist life, uh, and the president of uh, the Soviet Union, Kalinin, um, was um, uh, the recipient of countless petitions. Um, at the beginning of 1930, there were 350 appeals coming in every day um, from people who requested the reinstatement of their rights after being disenfranchised by local Soviets uh, across the um, uh, across Russia alone. Um, Kalinin's office often sympathised with these petitioners and regularly prepared a memorandum on local excesses in disenfranchisement for circulation to the local Soviets uh, in central authorities. Now, this is interesting. The the view that we often take of the Soviet Union the, 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 in the Stalin era is that um, these sorts of uh, appeals always fall on deaf ears. Um, in the uh, the office of uh, the the president of the republic, um, there were various um, moves afoot to try to kind of ameliorate some of the the, the kind of the extremes of of, of the policy. Uh... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, there were people who believed that they had wrongly or incorrectly been deprived um, of uh, the vote um, or of citizenship. Um, there were people who were uh, accused wrongly of living off unearned income, such as women uh, who received child support. Um, there were people 
who were uh, accused of being troublemakers, um, uh, the sorts of people, local um, uh, citizens, who some who were actually engaged in what they viewed as being local democracy and the sort of good uh, progressive stuff that they believed the Soviet Union was about. Often that meant turning up to meetings, criticising the party and being a general nuisance as far as the regime was concerned. Um, local, rural and urban Soviets unsurprisingly were staff were stocked with the sorts of kind of party members, apparatchiks and bureaucrats that didn't want people turning up and speaking their mind. And so they would often report them to the local Soviets and have them disenfranchised. Um, then there were kind of absurdities, such as one woman in Penza who complained of being deprived of her rights as as a nun uh, but the reality was she wasn't a nun, she was just an unmarried woman. Um, the, uh, ones, in one study of uh, petitions against disenfranchisement um, uh, by the academic Golvo uh, Alexopoulos, um, she found that those who were seeking reinstatement of rights um, had a range of arguments that they tended to use. Some presented uh, a Soviet persona, stressing their loyalty to the regimes. You know, I'm a good citizen, I'm trying to help, I'm trying to be what you want me to be. Um, so a deported labour settler once wrote that I have worked um, as a, uh, previously as a kind of counter-revolutionary, um, sort of uh, pre-revolutionary worker, and now I work as a Stakhanovite, fulfilling many of the norms in construction three times over. Um, a young man petitioning on his mother's behalf said, I'm a scientist, an inventor with honours and awards. Um, some petitioners stressed that they were powerless, their powerlessness and their misery, describing themselves as orphans without a crust of bread, pleading that I'm practically illiterate and have never seen joy in my life. I'm the sort of person that your regime should be defending and looking after. Um, and one position that was addressed personally to Kalinin um, begged him um, that uh, the uh, individual's children, uh, that an individual be not allowed to perish, if only for the sake of the children. Nobody seemed to argue about the justice of disenfranchising people who engaged in trade, um, which was normally the main grounds for deprivation of rights. Um, Mainly, they pleaded that they had been they had been wrongly classified. So again, this is interesting, and it tells us an awful lot about how people in these circumstances relate to uh, and engage with um, the state. They're not disputing, or they dare not dispute, that the overall idea of disenfranchising people for something as trivial as buying and selling bread uh, is a bad thing. That's an argument they're they're not going to win. What they are basically saying is, even if that is bad, I haven't done it. Um, you've got the wrong person. Go and focus your energies on, on the right kinds of people, um, and that they had, uh, and that anything they had been accused of was accidental or the result of desperate need. So these petitions are a lottery. Um, quite a large number were successful, though we don't really know and we can't know how many of the total um, uh, the, the total number were. Some categories of victims, like priests, um, produced very few petitions for the reinstatement of rights um, because it was uh, 
not likely that that would occur. Others, like widows and small traders, um, figure prominently in the list of successful petitioners, the kinds of people that um, the state is inherently, uh, particularly in the case of, um, uh, of widows, likely to favour, and people who are small traders, who are the, the, the kind of like the, 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 the petty capitalists, um, the state can become more convinced that they are the sorts of people who can reform themselves into Soviet ways. Um, those who had been uh, wealthier and more powerful were, were probably consigned to the gulags, um, uh, or if or, or seen as being uh, unredeemable. The standard practice of the petition was to petitioner was to write a letter of complaint on one's own behalf. Um, it was unusual to protest on behalf of another person who was not a family member. Um, and even less common to address the issue of stigmatisation in principle. However, there were exceptions to this. Uh, for example, uh, one young woman, writing under her maiden name, complained to the Ministry of Agriculture about her expul expulsion from a Kolkhoza collective farm uh, on the grounds that her husband's father had been a trader before the revolution. She was incensed in the first place that her husband's complaint on this score had been answered while an earlier complaint from her had been ignored, evidently on the assumption that she and her husband were a single entity. She objected correctly in terms of the law on the grounds that the Kolkhoz membership pertained to the individual adult, not to the household. On the substantive issue, she was equally feisty, going straight to the point of principle. One can't extend responsibility for social origins so far, because I had no connection with my father-in-law, Vasily Gavrilovich, who died in 1922, and whom I never knew, and could not be infected with his ideology. So, uh, again, the idea that um, somehow ideologies can be transmitted like a virus, this is a rather absurd idea, that's not uh, for um, uh, uh, for dispute. The I, what the individual here is disputing is that she couldn't possibly have come into contact with this this person. A sixty-nine-year-old former revolutionary called Alexandra Elegina, uh, who was part of the the People's Will um, terrorist group uh, in the eighteen uh, eighties that carried out numerous assassinations of government ministers. Um, there were. All sorts of these these kind of um, uh, former um, uh, populist um, uh, anarchist uh, figures who had managed to kind of transfer themselves into the Soviet Union, uh, who were not necessarily particularly favoured by the regime, um, as their kind of their heritage did not necessarily flow into the kind of the the, the path of the Bolsheviks. Um, Alexandra Alagina um, wrote to Molotov to protest about the fate of former people um, who had served a term in exile and, and she quotes despite all decrees and instructions from the government are hindered from finding employment, studying and living in those places where they have relatives and housing for example in Moscow and Leningrad um, another complaint about stigmatisation phrased in principal terms concerned the expropriation of Jewish small traders and artisans in connection with the campaign against private enterprise and the NEP men at the end of the NEP. This letter 
was signed by um, Abram Gershberg, a uh, worker. Um, and the author claimed to have observed or even participated in the expropriations in connection with his work as an activist in Kiev. The letter was basically a denunciation of anti-Semitism. Now, simply because there had been a uh, socialist revolution in the Soviet Union that didn't uh, recognise such, um, uh, ostensibly didn't recognise such kind of xenophobic and racist concepts uh, as anti-Semitism, it didn't mean to say that anti-Semitism had in any way been removed from Soviet society. In fact, there was significant amounts of it. Um, the letter was a denunciation of anti-Semitism. When I pointed out this incorrect activity, writes Gershberg, in relation to the small trader and the Jewish artisan, then my comrades were not ashamed to say, in joking term, Jews stick together. So here you had a Jewish party member who was observing that there was an, uh, a distinct anti-Semitic tone to the decisions to um, target small traders who happened to be Jewish uh, in Kiev. Gershberg wrote that the Jews had not only been deprived of uh, all their rights, uh, but their belongings down to their last pillow and shirt. And he asked for uh, an amnesty and permission for them to work in their trades, for example, as accountants, bookkeepers, salesmen, millers and butter makers. When Kalinin's office investigated, no Gershberg um, had emerged um, at the uh, address given. So who he actually was and whether he existed at all um, was a kind of a, 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 an interesting question. Um, later, as we shall see, um, Stalin began to um, transition away from the idea that the uh, that families that um, families uh, were inherently tainted by uh, counter-revolutionary activities, um, and the, the the famous announcement um, at the seventh Congress of Soviets was that uh, a son does not answer for the father. But we'll look at that soon. Anyway, I hope you found this uh, useful and interesting. I'm going to be adding some uh, more exclusive content to um, the Explaining History uh, Patreon page in the not-too-dear future. So if you'd like kind of uh, exclusive videos from me explaining the current parlous and monstrous state of the world, um, then do tune in uh, and I'll be good to catch you then go to www.patreon.com forward slash explaining history. Anyway, look forward to catching you on the next podcast. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.